You are listening to Let's Talk Trio on podcasts. Keep up with the latest episodes by downloading the Podbean app or stream episodes via our social media accounts. Search for Let's Talk Trio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This episode is sponsored by Student Access. Student Access, the leader in Trio software. Student Access is an online database solution that allows TRIO programs to track their students' information, connect with students by text messages, streamline the APR, and work from anywhere, all online, with automatic updates for changes from the Department of Education. Their technical support team includes former TRIO staff and has over 50 years of combined experience working with TRIO. Make it easier to focus on your priority, the students. For more information and to request a free demo, visit their website at www.studentaccess.com or call them toll-free at 1-800-801-1232. That website again is www.studentaccess.com or 1-800-801-1232. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on your social media by tapping that share button. This is a great way to support the podcast. Now here's your host, Juan Rivas. Thank you, Emilia, for that wonderful introduction. Hello, listener, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. I am your host, Juan Rivas. In today's episode, we have Curtis Grease, who is a current director of the Trio Student Support Services at State Fair Community College. Curtis is on the podcast to talk about his educational experience, his professional journey. He is also the founder of TrioJobList.com. A huge thanks to our sponsors, Angelica Villalpando, Rosario Riley, Dr. Ryan Barone, Dr. Jamie Motley, Angelica Valdez, Felicia Rivera, Jaded Electronics, TrioJobList.com, Nosotros Education Center, and Student Access. Thank you so much for your continued support of this podcast. You too can be a sponsor of the podcast. Head on over to Patreon and search for Let's Talk Trio. Choose one of four patron levels. You can support this podcast for as little as a dollar a month. A dollar a month goes a long way in supporting this podcast. If you own a business and would like to run an ad on our podcast, send us a message at letstalktrio at gmail.com. Become a supporter with a one-time donation to the podcast PayPal account. The handle is at Let's Talk Trio. Any amount is truly appreciated. If you would like to nominate a participant, staff, or alumni to be on the podcast, send us an email at letstalktrio at gmail.com. That email again is L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O at gmail.com. Again, a great episode featuring Curtis Grease who is from the TRIO Student Support Services Program at State Fair Community College, and he is also the founder of TRIOJobList.com. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Hi, Trio Nation. Our guest on the Let's Talk Trio podcast is a graduate of Colorado School of Mines with an undergraduate and graduate degree in mathematics and a master's in international political economy and resources. 
He is currently the director of the TRIO Student Support Services Program at State Fair Community College. In addition, our guest oversees the TRIOJobList.com website, which we will talk about uh, here in a little while. And in his free time, our guest enjoys growing and harvesting food, spending time with his family, and experiencing other cultures. Welcome to the podcast, Curtis Grease. Curtis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much for being to, for agreeing to be on the podcast. I'm very excited to have you on and talk about Trio and uh, getting to know you a little bit more. Well, it's my pleasure. I really admire what you do with your podcast and sharing the stories of, of Trio Nation. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Curtis. Um, how are things in Missouri? As I understand, you're in Missouri right now, right? That's right. My family just moved out here in the beginning of the year as I got a new position with Student Support Services out here. And um, we were looking to come out and, and have a little homestead, a little farm. And Ooh, we nice. heard, yeah, we heard it rained out here a little bit more than in New Mexico, where I came from. Uh-huh. And so uh, uh, that's what brought us out here in the first place. And thankfully, I got to stick with Trio uh, along the journey. But to answer your question, it is hot and humid. Uh, but <laughs> sadly, it hasn't really rained this summer. I think they've gotten oh, more, no. <laughs> I think they've gotten more <laughs> rain in Albuquerque than they have here, which is so weird, but uh, yeah, I'm hoping it's just an anomaly. <laughs> uh, let's hope so. So as you said, the summer is right right smack that dab in the middle of the summer. Are any items in the summer that you're hoping to accomplish? Like while, uh, I, I know for a lot of SSS programs or TRIO Student Support Services programs, the summer is a, a really a time to plan and, and get ready for the upcoming school year. What is that looking like for you? That's a really good question. So um, well, I'll just share this first because it's coming up this weekend. We're going to take a trip to St. Louis with oh, wow. a group of our students and do some cultural enrichment activities and uh, get to explore the city and culture. Um, so we're going to do some museums and the arch, of course. You got to do the arch uh, theater performance. And so that's going to be wonderful. Of course, by the time this gets out there, I'm sure we'll... <laughs> be resting and relaxing already post <laughs> yes. to St. Louis. But um, what other things are we doing? We are actively working on our calendar for our upcoming school year with workshops and campus visits, um, planning on our, our TRIO student organization that we have, uh, how to best help them with their goals for the year. And we're bringing on a new staff, actually. So oh, wow. yeah. we have a new student success coach coming in on August 1st. And so planning for all the onboarding and training that goes on with, with that. I know that a lot of folks think that uh, educational professionals have like the summer off, but clearly you have a lot of things on your to-do list. I thought it would be slower, uh, but we, we've kept ourselves really, really busy. And we've actually been working really hard on in taking new participants as well this summer so that we can hit the fall uh, on the ground running with mm-hmm. those students so that uh, we can start serving them right away and um, take a little bit of that pressure off of us in the fall semester as well. Absolutely. So as part of your intro, you shared that uh, you like to harvest, grow food, uh, spend a lot of time with your family. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your interest. Uh, what got you into growing and harvesting your own food? Because you must have a pretty good green thumb. Yeah, actually, surprise. And I guess I would say surprisingly so, because it wasn't until I was in college that I started getting a little bit more interested in it. And that's simply because my mom had these uh, raised bed gardens and I'd mm. go home on weekends. And there's just nothing like 
picking fresh homegrown food that you get to enjoy like ripe off the vine. And, um, and so just seeing the success that she had kind of inspired me. And uh, my wife is also interested in, in being kind of more natural minded and being closer to where our food comes from. And so it's been kind of an evolution from starting with raised bed gardens to getting chickens uh, to getting goats. We have some milk goats and uh, ultimately wow. now getting a, a 13 acre homestead that we're going to start um, growing all kinds of fruit and animals on um, and and bees hopefully have an orchard. I, wow. mean, I want it all. Yeah, it's amazing. So quick lightning round question on this. What has been the easiest veggie fruit or something that you've been able to grow and harvest or and what has been the most challenging? Oof. Oh my gosh. That's a really good question. I need to put you on the spot. <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, I would say I've had really good luck with beans. Like, like bush beans are pretty easy to grow. Um, carrots seem to do pretty well for me. But uh-huh. honestly, the hardest it, the hardest thing for me has been to find out how to garden in the different climates because mm. I started in Colorado. And Colorado is a little colder. You can usually start planting after Mother's Day. But then we moved to New Mexico where it's Mm -hmm. blazing hot and there's very little rain. And um, and so I went from one climate where I could grow things pretty well to Albuquerque, where I failed immediately. and had to To then over here in Missouri, we have our first garden here. And I mean, I think anyone could have a green thumb out here. You just put the seeds in the soil, give it water and watch it explode. Like we, we have vegetables coming out our ears. Wow. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad everything you're, you're adjusting and, and doing everything well in Missouri. Um, what is a personal goal that you have for 2023? Something that you accomplished and something that has yet to be accomplished. So um the biggest goal was to settle because we have been kind of in a state of, of nomad, I guess we've been in a nomad <laughs> state since, well, uh, yeah, moving place to place. We, when we left New Mexico in October of 2021, did a brief internship at a farm in Mississippi, mm-hmm. turned to New Mexico, left for Missouri and we've been renting out here since the beginning of the year. And um, we've been in two rentals in six months. And we finally wow. bought a house. Um, with, Congratulations. Thank you. Within our criteria. And so it's got 13 acres. And um, it's it's definitely more of a fixer upper than I anticipated. So the first mm-hmm. goal was getting a house, having a home that we could finally settle and feel like we could put down some roots and um, the goal that I've not yet accomplished is all of the fixing now that I have to do to this house that I was not. <laughs> so redoing the floors and we're going to have to get a new bathtub and you, you it's like you you try and fix one problem and then mm-hmm. it it just like multiplies into multiple problems. Oh, no. What's the name of that mythological creature that if you chop off one head, like seven grow in its place? Do you know oh, the that? Hydra? Yeah, it's like a Hydra. I feel like this house is like a Hydra. (laughs) The good news is we have a home. The bad news is we got a a lot of work, but it'll be great when we get home. Right on. 
Well, Curtis, thank you so much for sharing a little bit about yourself uh, at this intro of the, of the podcast, but we're going to rewind the clock a little bit. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about you and your upbringing? What was that like for you? Sure. So I'm fortunate that I have mom and a dad and um, was raised with them and five siblings. I was number two of six. Two of I was, six. Yep, wow. yep, six kids. And um, I am the oldest boy. Uh, but was surrounded by girls. It was girl, boy, girl, girl, boy, boy. And so uh, I'm sure that shaped me in some way, shape or form, but (laughs) yeah. uh, And we, we lived part of my childhood in Michigan for about eight years. And then after that, we moved to Colorado. And so from fourth grade through my college graduation, we lived in Colorado uh, in like a Northern Denver suburb. Mm. Um, had a really pretty good childhood, um, was pretty blessed to have some stability there and have some friends that I could play with on the streets and do all kinds of shenanigans as far as, uh, just playing sports on the street, you know, playing football and baseball and hockey. We'd literally just try and block off the street. And then anytime a car would come yell car and then I'll clear <laughs> off the street. That was like every day of my childhood was just running around rampant. That's awesome. Well, was school something you gravitated toward once you started uh, or your parents started introducing you to school? Is, is school something like you just gravitated toward? Yes. I, I've always been pretty academically motivated. I will say that I was always probably my own worst critic when it came to school and academics. Like mm-hmm. parents didn't really have to push me, but I really felt um, if I didn't do things right, or if I didn't learn things quick enough, I was mm-hmm. really hard on myself. Um, I used to say I was a perfectionist, but, um, and that's, that's probably true. Like I wanted to do it right. And I wanted to do it right the first time. Mm-hmm. And I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, I was very conscious of my grades and, you know, the good news is that I got good grades. The bad news is that I tied a lot of my value as a person to what grades I got. Oh, I see. And, and, and it wasn't until later that I kind of learned more about how to have a healthier mindset around, you know, learning, uh, learning for fun, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I do, and I do love learning for fun, but that having, having like grades tied to it and, um, uh, feeling like I was judged based on that, um, I think to some degree took a little bit of the joy away from it, but thankfully, you know, as time went on and I got to discover more about what I'm interested in, uh, my motivations kind of changed and, and actually since being out of school, I love learning more than ever. Uh, mm-hmm. and I love that I get to pick more what kind of things I study and what kind of things I learn about. That's awesome. Were there any particular subjects that you really, you know, stuck out in your mind, you really liked or you enjoyed? Uh, Math. Math has always been my strong suit, for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. Interesting, because I always hear people say like, you know, uh, oh, I hate math. I'll tell (laughs) tell them I love math. Like, oh, not me. No, no way. Like, that's, that's my kryptonite or whatever for some folks. But I love it. And I was also a math teacher for a while too. And I really believe if you have a person who can convey the information in the right way, 
Mm -hmm. uh, work with somebody, I really think that it's like building a pyramid. And as long as those foundational pieces are built right, and you're not going too fast or skipping steps and having holes in the pyramid, like I really think that you, that anyone can learn math. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that was definitely true for me, even though I did struggle with it from time, time to time. Um, what I, what I was also good at was music. And I guess they say that those are tied kind of together. If you're good at math, you might be good at music or vice versa and languages. So, mm. um, I, I was in marching band. Uh, I played trumpet for seven years. I was first chair trumpet. In That's awesome. Oh yeah. And then Spanish, um, I took Spanish classes and I have always had a knack for picking up foreign languages for some reason. That's um, amazing. Yeah. On the other on the other hand, I shied away from creative things because I think that sort of perfectionist mindset, if I couldn't get it right or if it didn't look great, mm -hmm. first time I tried it, I kind of felt like maybe maybe I wasn't creative enough or I wasn't going to be talented enough instead of looking at it from a mindset of like, I can get better, I can improve. Right. And I think the further I've come along, the more I think that I can be creative and exercise that side of me as well. How would your family describe you when you were young? That depends on who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have uh, like a multiple like interpretations of you with, with family? Um, well, my, my older sister and maybe my younger sisters would probably perceive of me as like the annoying brother, right? Like <laughs> super fun to just pester them and get uh -huh. on their nerves every chance that I could um be a little bit obnoxious um if anyone has ever on your show has ever heard of even stevens or watched even stevens like i was lewis basically like i aspired to that <laughs> as character. Was just super obnoxious to his sister um let's see uh so my dad on the other hand uh i think that he would probably have described me as someone who was very meticulous and thoughtful, mm -hmm. um, also very like ethical. Um, I had a very oh. strong sense of like morals and right and wrong. Um, my mom would probably describe me as emotional uh, because growing up, I, I could cry basically every single day. Um, and, and thankfully nobody, kind of told me that wasn't okay. Um, mm -hmm. It was just, I needed stress relief, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> just to mm -hmm. cry it out and have somebody hear about my day. Um, but I'd say that's probably the varied uh, descriptions you'd get from my family. All right. Um, do you have a favorite memory of you and your family? I would say memories, maybe. Memories, would, okay. Yeah, I would say that's like the road trips that my family would take to Michigan from Colorado after we moved out to Colorado, we would go every other summer or so we'd drive out in this minivan and, uh, <laughs> and it would take three days to get there. And we'd go to my grandparents' house out in the woods and they had like a little pond out there. And so it was kind of like camping out and we'd get s'mores and campfires and fireworks. And my aunts and uncles would spoil us with ice cream. So would say those are my favorite memories is out out with my family out there in Michigan. Right on. So outside of school, did you have a lot of interest? Earlier you said that you would uh, get the neighborhood kids, you would play hockey, play uh, baseball, play a, a variety of sports. Um, but did you have a lot of like interest outside of school? 
Yes, mostly just I I think what it boiled down to was I was interested in spending time with other people. Like oh, okay. socially. Socially. So my like one of my love languages is quality time. So if, mm-hmm. if you want to show me you care about me, like spend time with me. Um and so I just like to spend time with the neighborhood kids and um, whatever they were doing, that's what I was doing. So if they were interested in some given sport, well, I was going to try and learn that sport and participate in it. So like one of the neighbors got a hacky sack. So the next week I had to have a hacky sack. And <laughs> by the time I was done, like learning how to hacky sack, I was able to do like 203 in a row. Wow. Um there was a phase where we built these ramps off of our driveways and we'd go down and then we'd go off the ramps with our rollerblades and try and do cool tricks and stuff. Um, it wasn't necessarily that I was interested in those things so much as being able to fit in and participate with those neighbors. And when I made some friends later on in high school as a sophomore who loved comics, well, you could guess what I got into. I got into comics, right? So that All I could right. fit yeah, into yeah. Them. I feel like I kind of fit in. Um, but before that I was, I was always fairly nerdy. And so I also loved computer games. And so I'm talking about like Starcraft and Warcraft and oh, Diablo wow. one Diablo two, like yeah. these video games. Wow. Yeah. So I played a fair amount of video games as well. So when you said Starcraft, I immediately connected with you because that was like, uh, high school for me. Like I remember getting super into Starcraft and then, um, comic books was just something I was super intro into uh, in elementary, middle school and in high school. Uh, So I got to ask Marvel or DC or some other comic book uh, company. (laughs) Not to put you on the spot. Is it okay to not have one? So absolutely. Absolutely. My, my best friends in high school were twins. One was Marvel. One was DC. Oh, my favorite thing was just to pit the two of them against each other and (laughs) then fight it out. So I'd say something like, oh, you know, Spider-Man is so much better or something just to just to get the other one to start fighting. Right. OK, fair enough. I'll, I'll leave it as you don't mind either one that you're really just a fan of both. That's awesome. Yes, absolutely. So do you remember middle school at all? And what was that experience like for you? I loved middle school specific. Well, specifically sixth grade, I should say. Um, sixth grade was I, how do I describe it? Um, it was exciting. I just felt like I was learning new things all the time. I had great teachers and they were just characters. The teachers were just characters. Like they were hilarious. And I think maybe it was just in my own mental development that I was starting to be able to understand and interact with different types of humor. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that was exciting. It was when I, uh, I sort of started getting the attraction of girls and vice versa, right? Like, so that's kind of exciting. Um, But then after sixth grade year, my friends left. Another middle school was opened up and Mm -hmm. all of my friends went to that other middle school. And so I was kind of left alone. And so from basically seventh and eighth grade, I felt like I didn't know where I fit in anymore because my friends Mm. were really there. And so... I don't remember those years all that well, but sixth grade was fantastic. And let me tell you, like my look back then, like I had this hair gel and I would like sleek the hair all the way back. I mean, it was, oh, terrible. 
it was just <laughs> terrible. I'm like, how did I, how? And it was, my older sister was in eighth grade and that might've helped me get friends as a sixth grader. Cause, oh, your sister's cool. Like eighth grade or whatever. Right, right. She like tried to teach me how to be cool. Like you got to wear your backpack, like on one shoulder only, you know, and <laughs> <stuff> like <that. laughs> right on. Um, did you develop any interest in middle school? Like, uh, join any clubs, organizations, uh, interests that you really gravitated toward? Yeah, I started out in, in a band. So that was one that I definitely, I took to really, really quickly. And, and I fostered that interest a lot and, and throughout and even into high school. And, um, so that was when I dedicated a lot of time to practicing and loved just playing music and making music with the rest of the band, um, challenging myself and growing. It was really cool. And then I also did karate, which I did oh, wow. through, through high school as well. And then, like I mentioned, I just, whatever the kids in the neighborhood were playing, mm. I was Okay. Uh, what did you do? to prepare for your entry into high school? And do you, what do you remember thinking? Well, uh, <laughs> entry into high school, um, I was nervous. I was really mm. nervous. Big part of it was because the friends that had left to go to the other middle school were gonna mm -hmm. come back. And I hadn't really kept touch with them in touch yeah. with them so when they came back I was kind of nervous Are, is it going to be the same is it going to be different um and so because I kind of grew up for the last two years without them and so right. that was that was a little bit daunting uh but another thing was I was really really short in freshman year I was four foot eleven and like 92 pounds mm -hmm. Uh, and so I was very small for a freshman. I was probably one of the two smallest kids in my class of about 400 students. And, uh, and so I was a little bit afraid of like, are there going to be bullies and sort of that stereotypical high school, like getting swirlies in the toilet or something like that. <laughs> right. Like, that <laughs> but right. thankfully, no, thankfully I'm very fortunate. I didn't have any real issues with bullies and, um, and so it was not as bad as I think I was afraid of it, but I was still really, really socially like conscious of like the popular kids and the different clicks sure. and like, where do I fit in and where should I fit in? And, and just not really super confident in who I was as my own person and not sort of being too afraid to exhibit maybe who I am. Uh, you know, I love band, but I hated the stereotype of, of band geeks. Certainly. Uh, that weighed on me, unfortunately, way more than than it should have. Mm. I'm curious, and this is just more of a follow up. Uh, did the old friend group, it, were you able to catch up with them and, and really reconnect? Or was it more of a, you know what, I see you, um, you're in a different phase of your life and kind of move on from there? Yeah. What was that like? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I yeah, it was okay. It was never quite the same. Uh, they, they definitely, everybody grew up a little bit. And I think, uh, I, I was on good terms with them. I was in classes with a lot of them, but it was not really more than just classmates at that okay. point. It wasn't like, 
going and 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 spending time with them i was i always felt kind of geographically bound and so i didn't feel like because they lived miles away that i was going to be able to get there very easily and sort of cultivate those relationships either and so i was afraid to ask my mom who had a lot of other kids to take care of and drive around to other activities to ask her to take me to go see people far away as well did any of your extracurriculars carry over into high school so band did for sure i was in marching band and um i did that for through through junior year and um i did continue with karate as well and i'd say that those are the main two ones despite being involved on my street as far as with different sports i never took them up at like the the school level okay uh I guess maybe I was too busy. I, I don't know. I haven't reflected too much on it. Or maybe I um maybe I, I think for things like football, football was like the popular one. I didn't want to mm-hmm. get I didn't want my head to get hit. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that was the academic in me. I didn't I didn't right. want to lose brain cells. <laughs> so can you talk to us about your overall high school experience? Um, things that you liked, things that were not part of your priority. Uh, things that I liked in high school were, I would say the learning really was probably the biggest thing. I mean, I had some really great teachers. I had some really great math teachers and that definitely helped cultivate that interest. I had some great Spanish teachers, again, kind of cultivating that interest. Like I said, I think if you have a great teacher in a certain subject, it can just really motivate you and inspire you to, to grow and help you learn. Um, I think that that was probably the best thing. And and I was a little bit competitive in my classes too. So, uh, I definitely wanted to be valedictorian. I was not, uh, I graduated (laughs) 13th in my class, which 13 is my lucky number. So I'm not going to complain, but, um, I was definitely very academic minded and, and I, so I kind of focused on fewer things rather than, than a whole lot. So it was like my academics, it was banned. I ended up with a job. Mm. Um, Where did you work? If you don't mind me asking. I worked, my first job was Sylvan Learning Center. Oh, okay, cool. It's like a tutoring place. I suppose if I think about it, my very first job is actually private tutoring because my family had some friends who had a kindergartner and they hired me to be his tutor. I helped him with handwriting and then actually from the time he was in kindergarten all the way till he graduated high school, I got to work with him and tutor him. It ended up being that I tutored him in math on down the road, but um, that was sort of my first job. And even though it was kind of like a side hustle, um, that tutoring was really uh, sort of foundational for me as Mm -hmm. someone who wants to work and who likes working in education and seeing myself as a teacher. Um, and but the Sylvan Learning Center kind of matched up with that too. Even though I was just helping teachers, giving them books and stuff, yeah, uh, minimum wage. It was still kind of that academic setting. That's awesome. For many high school students around this time, uh, usually colleges become part of that conversation, um, and some students even contemplate whether or not they want to attend uh, the college, and they start coming up with their own list. Right? Did you and your family start discussing college? Is that was that part of the family discussion, or was it something that you a decision you kind of arrived on your own? I 
I didn't have a lot of conversations with my parents about college until probably senior year. I think someone in my school, my my teachers must have been working on ingraining it in me, but I always mm-hmm. felt like that's the next step. That's what I've got to do next. Uh, however it is that I need to go about doing it, that's what I always felt was was right for me. Um, I I didn't have an extensive list of colleges. Like I just really didn't know what how to differentiate colleges or what they offered or or why one might be better than the other. So my biggest reference was like whatever there was a commercial for on TV, like there were always these for-profit colleges. There was one called Westwood, I think. And mm-hmm. it was a private for-profit college and they had commercials everywhere. So it's like, oh, that's where I'll go because that's what I see. That's what I've heard of. But when I got further along, thankfully, I got a little bit more perspective of some of the other institutions in my state. Uh, I couldn't afford a private school and uh, didn't think I'd get a lot of scholarships. I just didn't think I'd be that competitive. Um, And so I looked at three state schools. I looked at Colorado School of Mines, Colorado State University, and go Rams. Yep. Go Rams. (laughs) And and CU Boulder. So those were like the three main ones that I was looking at. And part of that was with some of the guidance of some teachers that I had in a program that I was a part of called Legacy 2000. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had to do research on colleges for that program. I looked at some other out-of-state ones like MIT, and I just don't think I would have been competitive enough for MIT. But I looked at some other ones like that, like where would I go? Because I was basically felt like I was being pushed towards kind of engineering and science because I was good at math and science and I got good grades. So everyone was kind of like, well, you should be an engineer then if you're good at math. Um, and so naturally I feel like school of mines, CSU and CU were really good engineering, had great engineering programs. And so those were my top three. And then it kind of came down to distance from home, cost of living, Mm-hmm. And um, a little bit culture too. So, uh, and at the end of the day, my dad basically suggested that I should go to Colorado School of Mines. He says the best engineering and science school in the state. You should go there, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was it was affordable enough and closer to home. And so I said, all right, that's that's where I'm going to go. I took my dad's advice, and and I definitely don't regret it. So definitely spoiler alert if those uh who those who were tuning into the various top of the of the show right uh Curtis uh, you ended up going to Colorado School of Mines what was for you personally what was the draw of that college what did what did you like most about it I think what made it different for me was that it was smaller for one than those other two schools that I mentioned um I felt like I felt like I could sort of find where I fit in a little bit more easily than in a really large setting. Uh, it was just easier to navigate and it felt more focused, right? Like mm-hmm. Colorado School of Mines, you're going there if academics are your focus. Like you're not going there to party. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have um, anybody studying anything other than sci- basically science, math, engineering, because every single student that goes to Colorado School of Mines is going to take Calc 1 through 3. Mm-hmm. differential equations, physics one and two, chem one and two, like everyone, even if you're an economics major there, you're taking all of those classes your first year and a half. And so the folks that go there are much more um, academically 
focused, I would say. And granted, this is my perspective, and I didn't go to another another undergraduate institution, but my perspective was if I go here, I know that my fellow students are going to have a similar focus to me. And and I kind of wanted to escape. I mean, that sounds kind of bad, but I kind of wanted to do escape <laughs> the high school like scene. Like certainly. There was a lot of immature students in high school and students who were focused on a lot of things other than academics. And uh, I felt like going to a smaller school that was really focused was going to um, bring me around more like-minded people. Right on. Talk to us about that moment you set foot on campus at uh, the Colorado School of Mines. What did you feel? What was uh, going through your mind? So I remember going to, it was kind of like a, like a preview day. And uh, I remember meeting some people that would, would later end up being classmates of mine and just thinking, wow, they're even nerdier than I am. <laughs> like, wow, they're super nerdy. But um, I was like, well, I think I can fit in here. Um, but I just remember kind of being in disbelief because it's sort of a rite of passage. Like you're getting yeah. to that age where you're kind of getting ready to leave your your parents or your guardians oversight and supervision and it just seemed like this is happening like really fast like that right how does it just happen that suddenly you're going to college and you're responsible for yourself <laughs> that's it and so i mean i think i was ready for the academics but um i was 17 when i started college like about to turn 18, mm-hmm. but I was still on the younger side. And um, I think I was excited more than anything. Um, I I wasn't too apprehensive. Thankfully, I had learned how to navigate the academic scene pretty well. Um, but it was definitely going to be a bigger, a bigger setting than I was used mm-hmm. to in high school, even though it was still a small, relatively small college. Um, and golden is just beautiful. If anyone has a chance to go to golden Colorado, it's nestled in these foothills, uh, and it's just so scenic and breathtaking. And so highly recommend it. If any of those trio programs listening out there want to go on a tour and, and see Colorado school of mines, I've got connections. Let me know. There you go. (laughs) Connect with Curtis. That is awesome. Uh, and I've been to golden Colorado actually recently, um, there was a conference out there that I attended and absolutely will attest how beautiful the town is uh, very, very much. I think I went when it was kind of windy, uh, a little bit cold. I think it was in March that I went, but it was still, it was still fun. I, I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed being there. Nice. Yeah. Every season has something nice. It's, it's beautiful when campus is like just dusted and covered in snow. It's, it's beautiful. So silent. Absolutely. Did you know what degree or program you wanted to major in? I did not know. I just knew I knew I was going to study something related to math and science. And so when I stepped foot on campus, I assumed I was going to study something, some kind of engineering. But no one ever really told me what engineering was, uh, Mm. what it entailed. And we'd have there were like some different sort of info sessions on different careers and and majors. Yeah. None of them really stood out to me. I just didn't gravitate to any of those, you know, mechanical or electrical engineering or petroleum, petroleum is a big one out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of them, none of them really made sense. And so I kind of, the first, 
I thankfully felt like I didn't have a whole lot of pressure because the first year and a half, you take the same classes as everybody else. So I knew I had a year and a half to decide. And in the end, nothing stood out to me, but I still loved math. And so I decided to stick with math, which my mom wasn't happy about. I'll say, she's like, what can you do as a math major? Are you going to be a teacher? I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with that yet. Uh, (laughs) I can do whatever I want with that. Uh, I'll figure out the problem to solve later. Uh, And so it was, to me, it was, I loved the sense of working through a problem or problems and coming to some kind of solution. And I think that's sort of the common thread with a lot of my interests nowadays is like, what kind of problems do I want to solve? And what are the steps that I can take? So even though I don't necessarily utilize those math skills, there's underlying processes and steps and, and, um, things like that, that, that I still use in a day-to-day basis and in solving different problems that are and challenges that arise. Absolutely. Um, how involved did you get in college? So I don't, I'm trying to think if I already mentioned this, but I really bloomed in college. I, I totally came out of my shell. I was so shy in high school. I had basically two best friends and I didn't really connect with a whole lot of other students other than just them being my classmates in high school. Mm-hmm. Whereas in college, when you live on campus and I was, thankfully I was able to live on campus uh, in the dorms. And when you live with people, you can't help but get close to them and you can't help right. but open up your mindset about different people and and different backgrounds. And it taught me so much and opened me up so much to just different, um, just the different people and different personalities out there and how to become more tolerant and accepting of everybody. And, um, and so getting access to that sort of diversity was really great to me and getting out of my sort of protective little bubble that I felt like I was in, in high school. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, I got involved in so many different things on campus. So I, uh, I was involved in ballroom dance club. We did. Oh, uh, wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually joined the swing dance troupe. There's actually a couple of YouTube videos. of huh. All right. We're going to have to look, look, we're going to link it to the podcast. Yeah, we did. <laughs> I did a couple of contests. I did one at CU Boulder, one at CSU actually. Uh, with oh, really? Yeah. Intercollegiate swing battle. It was called. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, let's see, I was part of um, Blue Key Honor Society. Mm-hmm. Um, they're responsible for lighting up the M that's on the side of the hill in Golden. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zion. It's uh, it's the largest lit letter on the side of the hill on of, in anywhere in the U.S. Basically, in, in, oh wow! So if you ever drive by Golden at night, the M is lit up, and the M is for mines. That's awesome. Um, so that was one of Blue Key's responsibilities was upkeep of the M. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's see. <laughs> um. I was involved in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and Bible studies. And um, I'm trying to think what else I did in college right now. Lots of pickup games of volleyball. As awesome. much as I did, volleyball is my favorite. Uh, was involved in like Ultimate Frisbee with my with my floor, like my my dorm floor. Mm-hmm. And and I was involved in in other student leadership activities as much as I could as well. Right on. So while in college, what did you learn about yourself? 
Well, I think one of the first things that I learned was that I'm not perfect and it's okay. And um, nobody's perfect, honestly. Uh, and so that perfectionism kind of went away a little bit. And so mm-hmm. did sort of the judgmental aspect, both against myself and others kind of dissipated as well. Um, that it's okay to make mistakes and sort of forgive oneself and forgive others as well. Um, but I also learned, and this specifically as a master's student, um, I learned that my purpose in life is beyond just me, that mm. I I exist for more than just achieving success. Mm-hmm. I exist for more than a steady paycheck and like a steady household life. Like that was my American dream was like, I wanted a house, I wanted a car and I wanted a family. Like going into college, that's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And at some point I learned that to me, that stuff is meaningless if if I'm not helping others along the way and if I'm not striving to make a difference. And, and, and so I think I became less self-centered and more others-centered. And um, yeah, so that was, that was pretty revolutionary for me. And that, that came specifically like later in like my master's years. Hey there, we'll be right back after a message from our sponsor. Are you seeking guidance to enhance your TRIO project's effectiveness and success? Look no further. Nosotros Education Center, NEC, is here to empower your TRIO project with expert consulting services. NEC's mission is to promote the effectiveness and impact of TRIO programs. Since 2003, NEC has specialized in providing professional development and in-service staff trainings, allowable cost services, for TRIO projects across the country. The team at NEC, with over 60 years of combined TRIO experience, offers customized workshops and seminars for project staff, compliance assessments, external evaluations, working on and submitting APRs, database customization and training, developments of policies and procedures manuals, and project implementation or reorganization services. Additionally, NEC has secured over $774 million in federal funding with a 92% success rate through their live and on-demand proposal workshops, assistance with data collection and review, detailed technical reviews, and comprehensive proposal development services. Join the hundreds of colleges, agencies, and TRIO projects across the country who benefited from NEC's expertise. Nosotros Education Center, your partner in TRIO's project success. Visit their website at nosotros.edu.org. Again, that's nosotros.edu.org. And now, back to the podcast. So if I read your info right, you also completed a language immersion program. Uh, can you talk about that? Yeah. So I I studied abroad in Spain in, in Madrid for about six weeks. It was a Spanish language and cultural immersion program. Um, six weeks is not long enough to learn a language, but... <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> 
but it thankfully I had a little bit of grounding already through Spanish throughout high school. And um, I did love learning about the culture and I did develop my language skills a little bit. But what the, the best immersion program I ever had uh, is nothing you'll find on my LinkedIn profile. And that was, <laughs> I got to live with my wife's family for over a year when we moved from Colorado to New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so her parents are from Mexico. And so, and they, they can understand English mm-hmm. um, and they can even get by a little bit, but in the house, it was all Spanish. And so right. yeah, yeah. there's nothing like living with people and, and having to communicate in their language for basically a year. And that, that really, really helped my fluency. And to the point where Cynthia's my wife, her, her aunts and uncles are just like, oh my gosh, like you speak great. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, it's, you know, you even have a Chihuahuan accent. Like. <laughs> Curtis, you, you, you adopted, or you have uh, uh, really delved into the, the Spanish language to the point where you've developed a, an accent. It sounds like. Yeah. I mean, Cynthia's dad is from Chihuahua. So like, for example, one of the things that you hear from a Chihuahuan accent is like a, instead of a ch, for the ch, it's more of a sh. Sound. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Chihuahua instead of Chihuahua, mm-hmm. and so there's there's some slight things like that that I think just because I'm hearing it, that's what I'm replicating. And you, okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Cynthia's family from Guanajuato said I speak really weird, so apparently I don't have a Guanajuato. <laughs> but I, I promise you, like any, uh, and, and this is uh, me being Mexican uh, and understanding the culture and understanding that. There's regional uh, aspects to Spanish, right? They can immediately tell whether you are from a certain region or if your Spanish is just completely messed up. But I'm glad that at least the the regional accent for you is coming through, which is great. <laughs> My wife likes to say that I'm not obviously white, which is interesting. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm pretty much a gringo, but she's like, she's like, no, you put on a cowboy hat and some boots and like, you can get by. You absolutely can. I can, I can totally see that. <laughs> I'll take, I take it as a compliment, honestly. And I really think that I'm Mexican, like on the inside, I really do claim that because I just love Cynthia's family. I love Mexico. I love just like my best friends, like my twin friend, friends from high school, Mexican, their mom was like my adopted mom. I just, I feel like I've totally adopted the culture. I just love it. I don't know how, how familiar you are with social media and uh, some of the sayings that go around uh, on, on TikTok and other social medias is Mexicans, uh, the, the saying goes, Mexicans are born wherever they damn well please. Yeah. And and that includes right. If you feel Mexican, then that's you're, you're Mexican. And I and I only bring that up because I recently saw a video of this young young man, a little boy about four or five, and he was upset because he was uh, telling his mom like, "I want to be Mexican," and she's like, "What? You don't want to be African anymore? Like, what's what's going on? You don't want to be African?" And he's like, "No, I want to be Mexican because they eat quesadillas," <laughs> and you know, very upset. Well, the Mexican the Mexican national team for soccer got wind of this uh, video, saw it, and they officially like, yep, he's one of us. He's got the soccer oh, jersey and everything. Okay. They got him quesadillas, so he was <laughs> ingrained into into that. So I thought I just thought that was super amazing. That is awesome. No, you've got a good point there. Like, <laughs> let me tell. That's one of the best parts of living with your your Mexican in laws for a year is mi suegra. I mean, she can cook 
amazing. On point. Yeah. Amazing Mexican food without any recipe. That's amazing. I And you know what? I just recently like really picked up on learning how to cook for my kiddos. They love my Mexican food. Like they're like, dad, Mexican food with you is on point. It's awesome. When I try to branch out to Italian, they're like, mm, Italian's not all that great. You're still learning. I'm like, ah, oh, thank you for that grace. But I'm still, <laughs> I'm still trying to learn, trying to branch out. Um, thank you for indulging me in that, uh, Curtis, for that little, yeah. uh, little banter. But uh, for, for some students who are thinking about careers, right? For you, when did career start to come becoming like something that entered your mind? Was it something that you constantly th thought about while in college or was it something after college? I kind of had an identity crisis mid-college. like As many college students do, right? Yeah, I think I was <laughs> probably like middle of sophomore year, maybe early junior year. And I was just like, oh my gosh, my mom's right. What am I going to do with this major? <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to, because it's kind of like, there's some fields when you study that, like nursing, you, it's, yes, there's it's, many different fields of nursing that sure, you, sure. Can, you can be, but you know, you're going to be a nurse. When you study math, you could do so many different things. It's, it's kind of like if you study sociology, you could do so many different things. Absolutely. Um, and I didn't know. So thankfully I had a professor in my sophomore year for a class called human systems. Mm -hmm. Sounds like an anatomy class, but it wasn't. It was about it was about how different countries interact with each other geopolitically. Anyhow, I apparently impressed him in class. And at one point, he basically, I was in his office hours working on a paper or something. And he said, you should join my master's program, the master's oh. of international political economy of resources. And he says, and if you apply and get in, I'll pay for the rest of your undergrad and I'll pay for your master. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't have an end game with math. And so I was like, sounds good. Sign me up. You'll pay for the rest of my undergrad. <laughs> That's I'm amazing. I'll do it. Sure. Yeah. Um, that just delayed the inevitable because then when I was in my master's program about a year from graduating, I had the same identity crisis again. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> what am I going to do with this master's? Right. Uh, so, so um, I, I definitely periodically thought about careers, but I didn't have a lot of guidance. Um, mm. I had I had an internship with a consulting company after my sophomore year, and that was really neat. Um, but it didn't really go anywhere. It was with an energy consulting company. Mm -hmm. It didn't really go anywhere. It just didn't really get me super excited. Um, I did research as part of my master's program. Um, but again, like the, the career path wasn't super clear with that. And so when I graduated and I delayed that as long as I could as well, like mm -hmm. I should have been done with my master's in one extra year, but I took two years because I was like, <laughs> I'm delaying. I don't know what I'm doing yet. Keep me in school, my safe place. Um, and so when I graduated, I still didn't have a super duper clear idea of like a long-term career path, but I had stumbled. I guess you could say stumbled. I, I don't know. It's probably not the best word, but social entrepreneurship and nonprofit management mm, um, mm -hmm. fell into my lap my last year of my grad program. And so 
I started pursuing that side of me. Like I said, like I, I developed a passion for wanting to serve and help others and make a difference. And so, um, I never went in thinking that was going to be a career path or that education was going to be a career path for me, Mm -hmm. but, um, that's what tugged at my heartstrings. And I was, uh, blessed enough and fortunate enough to be able to follow that at the point of personal poverty, because I had my parents' basement that they let me live in for pretty cheap Mm. after I graduated (laughs) until my car broke down and I had to get a quote unquote real job. Uh, (laughs) That's a, that's a kind of a long story, but yeah. (laughs) Right on. So just for the audience, so you went from undergrad and right, right into a master's, no break in between. Um, did you get to enjoy your graduation from college the first time? I did. I, I like I said, I had a, an amazing undergrad experience and a pretty good master's experience too. And I didn't change schools. So I still had a lot of the same friend groups, but my, my graduation was very celebratory. Uh, I, accomplished a lot of things. I was involved in a lot of activities and I just felt so gratified by the whole experience. Um, I think one of the bigger struggles was like after leaving and graduating and finally being done with my time there, um, Mm -hmm. that lack of community, right? Because Mm -hmm. I had been just surrounded by this community and this focus for so long that leaving it felt like there was a, there was a void in terms of like my social sphere and sort of belonging again and trying to find out what to be involved with at that point, since I was no longer tied to the school, but I love graduating. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. No, 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 no. You're good. You're good. My graduation was great. Um, uh, walking the stage and, and being surrounded by my friends who we worked so hard with over the years um, to, to attain that silver diploma, because at Colorado School Mines, I don't know if they still do. Hopefully they do. You get a silver diploma. It a is silver diploma. It is silver. Yes. So wow. the, the bachelor's diplomas are okay. They're, they're, they're silver coated. Oh, the master's diplomas are pure silver which is kind of cool. Wow. And it's that is, Colorado that is school. super amazing. It's Colorado school of mines, right? So <laughs> well, yeah. Like that's, yeah, yeah. that's the tie in. Yeah. That is amazing. That's all. That's so awesome. Um, so in, in, in your, now you've graduated, you're into your master's program. Uh, at what point did you find out about trio? What was that? How did, how did that come about? Sure. So uh, as I've kind of mentioned, I started down the path of nonprofits and social enterprise. And when my car broke down, <laughs> I got into education. I, I I had been tutoring for a long time. And so mm-hmm. I ended up applying for a job with the Denver Math Fellows and did tutoring and teaching for two years. And then I did some work in a nonprofit with, with youth. And after my second born came along, he was uh, he was born premature, uh, hmm. 10 weeks premature. And I just knew we were going to need to move to where my wife's family was, which was Albuquerque, New Mexico. We were in Colorado still. And uh, so I, I was looking for jobs out there. And my wife said, you should look into Upper Bound, see if there's any Upper Bound programs hiring. And, hmm. and so 
did the search and and thankfully New Mexico Tech was hiring for mm-hmm. the upper bound math and science coordinator position. And it was actually the only job I applied for. And despite actually, so um, I, I could only do the interview over Skype because my son was in the hospital premature and everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I called the director a couple of weeks after I had the interview and I said, you know, I just calling to inquire about the status, you know, just to see if there's been a decision. I hadn't heard anything. And she just said, oh yeah, sorry. You got it. <laughs> what a great way to find out you, you got the job. <laughs> yeah. So I heard about Trio from my wife who had friends who were in Upward Bound. She wasn't herself, but she had friends in Upward Bound. And um, reading the job description, it was incredible because it felt like everything I had been doing from working in a middle school in math and working with youth, um, it just felt like the right fit. Like, yeah. It was made for me. It was upper bound math and science, right? Like I was a science and math guy and I loved working with younger, younger students. And so that's how I found out and got involved in Trio. It's, it was literally the dream job I never knew existed. Curtis, that is amazing. It sounds like you've always had that heart for public service. Uh, so what, what motivates that or what inspires that for you to give back? Yeah, I would say it's definitely it's definitely partially faith driven. Um, I, I just believe that I'm here for more than myself and that, uh, and I do believe in a higher power. I believe in a, you can name it, whatever you want to name it. I, I say God, like I believe in God and, um, and I believe I'm loved. Uh, I believe that if, someone loves me so much that um that i have all of these things in life that i don't deserve um that my really my only response to that can be trying to love others and give back to others and and so that's wonderful that's what um that's pretty much 100% what motivates me and, and i mean it is really personally gratifying too right like that's the reward when you have a student and they say they, they look up to you or they say like they got to where they are because of you. Um, you made an impact in their life. Mm-hmm. Like that right there is, is all the reward. Like if I didn't need an income to take care of my wife and kids, like I, I would absolutely do trio for free. Like, mm-hmm. like if, if everyone just had every all their needs net needs met, like in life, like including mine, like I would just want to do trio. I would just want to work with these students and and help them achieve their goals. Talk about your work in education. What have you enjoyed so far, and what are some challenges? I, I I'll just say like in terms of enjoyment, I'll say like upward bound. I love the trips, and I think that's one of the things that I miss a trips little. Are bit enjoyable, about. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I miss it a little bit. Like I, okay, yeah. It's there's aspects of the trips that I love. Like I get to go on these trips with these students and spoil them, right? Like I get right, to take right, places right. and see things that they've never gotten to see. They would otherwise never get to see, maybe. And um, I get to pay for it all, like. <laughs> out of the grant funds like it's fantastic right. i get to right. take them to new york or portland or 
you know, wherever we end up going, Las Vegas, LA, like all these places. Um, and so I just really have really loved that aspect of Upward Bound. And I really loved getting to be a part of a student's journey for a long period of time for like four plus years, mm-hmm. um, because you can get them as freshmen and see them all the way to graduation. And, and I was with my Upward Bound Math and Science programs for, for six years. And so um, I got to see three full graduating classes go wow. from freshmen. That's amazing. And, and so getting to develop those relationships and, and see them progress. And in many cases, bring them back on board as RAs, uh, resident assistants to help with your summer programs. Like, and now I'm like seeing, seeing students getting married, like students that I had, I'm like, you're getting married to another upper. That is so crazy, right? (laughs) Um, Just being part of their lives. Like, Mm. so, so amazing. Um, The challenge is I'd say, come around like, like participation. And I think I, it's, oh, it's hard, hard not to be disappointed. You're not going to have a hundred percent of students wanting what you offer, even mm. if they applied for the program and they're, they've gotten in and you like want to give them so much, right? You, you're offering them so much support for free, but they don't always take it. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's really, really challenging when you you just don't see that that's that effort reciprocated and and it's really sad when you 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 have a student that um you know you could help and they really need it but they just won't won't come and and there's some other stories too like personal stories that you end up hearing and and learning that that are really hard um but you get to be a part of like being the light that helps them you know pass their challenges that's wonderful uh, and you're doing, you've done fantastic work, especially with the Upper Bound program. I know I've, I've worked for Upper Bound programs. I was once an Upper Bound student, so uh, I can tell you personally, like the staff, how much of an impact they, you make on the student. And then when the student turns around and, and serves the Upper Bound program as a staff member, uh, even if it's part-time basis, how impactful that is. Uh, but Curtis, you currently serve as the Director of Student Support Services at, at Stu- uh, State Fair Community College. Um, in Missouri. So that's a huge shift from New Mexico to Missouri. Can you talk about your program and its relationship to the college? Sure. So I've been in this position since middle of October of 2022. So haven't come up on quite a year yet. And it is definitely a different learning curve to, you know, just in terms of the program and the dynamics of, of the relationships on campus and I would say that I really actually love the relationship that our program has with the college. It is super embedded and ingrained in in all aspects of campus life. It is well-loved and uh, staff from all across the campus send students to us. Um, we, we have a lot of involvement by different staff on, on committees and, and things that help our program. Mm-hmm. And the college actually offers a really high amount, dollar amount of support to the program as well, paying for things like our fringe, ben- a lot of our fringe benefits. And wow, they don't take indirect costs. So most grants, most colleges will take an 8% cut of, 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 of what the grant expends. Um, our program, our college does not take that 8%. Wow. Uh, so we get 
all the money that the federal government gives to us to serve our students. It's amazing. Yeah. So TRIO programs often focus on meeting their objectives. So they either say, we've got to meet our numbers for students recruited. We've got to offer these services. What is some advice that you would give to new and seasoned programs? I have a lot of advice that I can. <laughs> uh, can we fit it in this podcast? <laughs> it's, it, I mean, and I do try to give, I, I try to help, especially with, with newer professionals when I can, when I see them asking questions on, on a variety of different topics. Um, I think it's, it's very important to take care of, of yourself as a staff for one, like make sure that your own needs are met. I think that's really, really important. And, and that, uh, that can be from your personal life and making sure that you have enough time that you can address those things because, uh, in order to be able to focus on others, you do have to have a decent uh, grasp on, you know, being able to take care of your own self. And, and that includes like mental health, for example. Um, but then I would also say it's important to take care of yourself in terms of training and development. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. take advantage of the opportunities like trio training programs and conferences and, and connect with other trio professionals who are going through similar challenges because there are so many other seasoned professionals out there. Like there are a lot of people who've been in our shoes. And even if you've been here for 20 years, there's folks who've been in trio for even longer, like a lot. Uh, longer. Right. A, a while. You can always learn new things. And there are always new developments um, in terms of technology. And then of course we had COVID, right? So right you know, being able to lean on each other is something that I think is really important. So if you're not already connected, if you're a director of a program, I highly suggest that you connect. Uh, there's a couple of Facebook groups for directors where there's constant communication. Um, go to a TRIO training program. Those TRIO trainers, they know their stuff and they are willing to help you even after the training and, and they're willing to help connect you with others. Go to your local conferences uh, for trio programs for your state or your region, because those are the people that you can depend on and rely on to help get you through a lot of the challenges that you might face. Absolutely. Curtis, in your opinion, why is it so easy for a trio program to feel alone or isolated in a sea of resources? That's a really... That's a really interesting question. I think it it probably depends. I can say like for my upper bound math and science program, I felt isolated on my campus. Mm. We were based 70 miles away from our main campus. And I felt like we weren't really a part of the college in many mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. I felt like we were just a neglected thing. Like it, it let it just run itself kind of thing. We don't... Mm -hmm not our money. It's the students aren't necessarily coming to college here. So it's not a big deal. That mm -hmm. was the case for, um, for that. So I think in, and I have heard of other programs having a similar thing where they don't feel as valued on their campus, unfortunately. Um, and I think there's ways to remedy that. I do. I think there's ways to build those connections and bridges and build relationships that can help 
people not feel so alone on their own college campus. Um, I think another thing that can make folks feel isolated in a sea of resources is like, like EOC programs, for example, educational opportunity centers. Mm -hmm. There's not as many of those programs. Oh no. Yeah. There's far and few in between. Right. And so if you're one of the only in your state or your area, you may feel like you don't have somebody you can call up and ask for, Hey, are you, you facing the same thing too? But, but there are, there are other EOC programs, right? Like, I think, I think that, um, we just have to know where to look and we have to be willing to step out and, and, and ask for help. Um, there's only one, I think only one educational talent search program in all of Missouri, but it it's easy to understand why they might feel a little bit alone or isolated if they're the only ones. Right. Absolutely. Curtis, what is your goal and vision for trio SSS at your college? My goal would be for it to be a model program. I want it to be a program that I can share resources from that other schools and other programs want to emulate. I want to, I want it to just be top notch from everything that we do from advising to even just like programmat, not program, non-programmatic things like administrative things, like, like record keeping and documentation, right? Like mm -hmm, I just, mm -hmm. I want it to be I want it to be just top notch in all of those regards. And, and I think I'm really lucky because I already have a staff that is super top notch and we're working on figuring out what things look like post COVID. And so I'm still learning what's the norm here on campus mm -hmm. and still identifying what are the biggest challenges. And from there, finding ways to build community amongst our students and um, and just always striving for better and, and making sure that we can help as many of our students in the best way that we can. Right on. All right, Curtis, now to really talk about the thing that, uh, once again, appreciate the sponsorship that you all provide. So uh, the website is triojoblist.com. Uh, can you talk to us about this website and how did that begin for you? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So triojoblist.com uh, is a website for trio professionals and aspiring trio professionals to post positions for trio, trio programs or to find their trio career. And so it is a website where you can go and you can see an up-to-date list of positions in TRIO programs, all seven programs across the country and, uh, and including Alaska sometimes and Hawaii. I haven't had any out in the Pacific yet. I've had one in Puerto Rico. I'd love more. <laughs> if any of your <laughs> listeners are out there, please, that'd be cool to put your positions up. Um, but we have a, both a list and also a map. And I think the map is what really makes it useful. That's awesome. The map has a pin on it in the geographic location of every position that's open, and it's color-coded according to which program it's with. And so you can quickly, if you're looking for an SSS position, you can hone in on the blue color, and you can go to the geographic region that you're interested in and click on it. It'll tell you what college it is. It'll tell you the name of the position, the that's awesome. anticipated salary, the closing date, and a link to go and apply. 
and actually have numerous other lists as well. So I have it broken down. I have lists by state. I have lists by program type. And then I also have a list just for assistant director and higher level positions. So let's say you're a coordinator and you want to move up to an assistant director or director position. You can go to my map that is specifically for those positions to help wow. you again, kind of hone in on what you're interested in, in, in applying for. So where can folks find this website and how can they connect with, with it on social media? So triojoblist.com is the, the web address. And so pretty easy to remember. <clears throat> Although I will say, if you type in tri trio jobs in a Google or probably other search engines as well, <clears throat> excuse me, you should, it should be one of the very first that come up at this point. It's, it's gotten a lot of traction and, and gotten high up in the, in the rankings, but trio job list, if you can remember that, you'll be able to find it triojoblist.com. Awesome. And social media right now, we only have Instagram. So it's just at trio job list. Pretty easy to find that as well. And I typically post a weekly kind of update as far as how many positions were added in which programs. And I also do featured posts. So if you um, are interested in either spreading the word out there even further for open positions, you can do a featured position and it gets blasted out on uh, on my Instagram and in the newsletter. Oh, I will mention that as well. You On the website, there is a link for the newsletter. So I send it out every single week and it has updates about what positions were added, how many are expiring in the next week. Um, and my favorite part of it all is that I give scholarships away as part of those featured positions. And so That's awesome. anytime someone a program pays for a featured position over half of whatever they pay, it's a hundred or $150 goes to a, a scholarship to a student in their program selected by the staff of the program. That is amazing. That's awesome work that you're doing, Curtis. Uh, if a trio program wanted to get a hold of you to post a position, how would they do that? So the easiest way is triojoblist.com and there's a tab that says post an opening. And so if you just click on that, it'll give you a couple options. There is a free option. So if it's not in your budget uh, to post a featured position, it'll still get on the list. It'll still get on the map and it'll still be included in the newsletter. Um, and so that's the basic positions. It'll just take you to a Google form and you just submit that form. If for some reason that doesn't work, you can email me uh, at triojoblist at gmail.com also will get a hold of me. And um, I have a phone number on the website as well in the about section. So folks can, if you go to triojoblist.com, you pretty much can find any information you need on there. So that, that process, do folks just plug a position, submit a request, and that, that usually appears in five business days, seven business days? Good question. Yeah. So it's very, very easy. Basically, you're going to need the title of the position, the program that it's it's for program or programs. Sometimes it's multiple programs. You need to have the uh, city, state, and zip code of where the position is located, the name of the institution or organization, and then optional fields include salary, which I highly recommend. I just think that it's great if you know what your anticipated salary range is, just to be transparent. 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's helpful for those who are applying. It takes the question marks out of it. Um, so, but those are optional. You could leave them blank if, if that's your HR, HR's policy or something like that. Um, and then you're going to want to put 
an expiration date, if there is one, a link to the website where they can apply, and then the minimum required experience, excuse me, education. You can add experience to that as well. Um, so does it require an associate's or a bachelor's or a master's? And when I fill in uh, some of these, because unfortunately not everybody in the world posts their positions to Trio job lists through the form, that's the best way to do it if you want to make sure it gets there. Otherwise, I go out and I actively search for open positions and I hand input them uh, myself. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I spend a few, probably about a few hours a week doing that. That's awesome. So Curtis, one more time, the website and the social media handle where they can find you. Oh yeah, sure. So it's triojoblist.com or at triojoblist for Instagram. And when somebody posts a position on the form, I forgot to mention, I, I usually have it up on both the map and the list within a few hours, but I say within 24 hours. Within 24 hours. That's amazing. Um, Curtis, what do you like most about your role as a director for the Trio SSS program? <laughs> I, I should be ready for this. I have the questions ready. <laughs> I won't put you on the spot and let everybody know that we've, we've planned this for almost a month. <laughs> Just kidding, Curtis. We won't let them know. No, we won't let them know that. That'll be edited. It's so hard when it's so hard when like what I like most about something. Well, um, I love that I'm learning something new. I love that uh, I get to see students in the next sort of phase of the education pipeline. I worked with high school students for a long time. I helped advise them, help them graduate, and help them apply and get accepted and admit and started at institutions of higher education. And now I get to be at that next level. And so I get to see firsthand now, how good of a job did I do when I was helping high schoolers get them ready for college? And Mm -hmm. the reality Mm -hmm. is the reason that we still have TRIO programs in college is because our students don't stop needing help once they graduate high school. Right. And so it is something that has really opened my eyes that just to how tricky it is to navigate college and how important it is to have our TRIO programs there supporting our first gen um, income eligible students and students with disabilities because, um, whoops, throwing my phone over here. (laughs) (laughs) No! Uh, (laughs) um, It's just from everything from financial aid to navigating academics to um, to transferring in the case of community colleges to helping them transfer. There's a lot of things to for students to get through. And, and so TRIO is there for it. Absolutely. Thinking ahead, what do you see yourself doing five to 10 years from now? I do not know. <laughs> it's okay to not know. <laughs> um, I, I know some things. Okay, I know some things. Like, like I, I always want to be I always want to be helping people in some way, shape, or form. I love TRIO. I would love to retire in TRIO. Um, I admire the people who, um, who at like your state or regional or national conferences can stand up and walk across the stage and get their 15, 20, 25, 30 year like recognitions, right? From yeah. other from yeah. trio associations. Like I admire those people so much. 
And so I think for me, I want to be in trio. And I guess it's in what capacity. And and I may still, I may retire as director of SSS at State Fair Community College. But beyond that, I'm interested in seeing the ways that I can make a bigger impact nationally. And right. so um I I want to find ways to help more people. And Trio Job List is a part of that. Like it's trying to elevate Trio more across the country or provide ways of helping professionals. So whether it's doing consulting or maybe eventually being like a trio trainer, um, board service or committee service for our region, or um, I mean, it would be really cool to be on the board for like COE eventually. Mm -hmm. I don't think I could commit to that because I have three young kids still, but um, maybe when they're old enough, that's when I can really delve into those sorts of things. But in the meantime, there's things that I can do from right here where I am in Missouri, rural Missouri, um, to still try and elevate the work that uh, that TRIO is doing across the country and, and helping others serve our students even better. Wonderful. Are there any mentors, teachers, or advisors you would like to recognize on the podcast? Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, yes, there are. Uh, big shout out to my whole Trio New Mexico family. Um, Chris Luna was my first mentor over there. He was Upward Bound Director at University of New Mexico when I started, and he helped get me connected to the whole community. Um, Don Blue Sky Hill has been a great mentor. Um, and just and very quickly, she is like a huge fan of the podcast. She listens to like every episode. So uh, thank you. Thank you, Don. Shout out to you, Don. Um, let's see here. I mean, I can talk about anybody here. Like, absolutely, yeah, yeah. This is all open to you. This is open to you. Oh my gosh, I have a list that's probably way too long to really actually go through. <laughs> but I won't um, play you out like the Emmys. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, for my for my college experience, Gus Grival, he was he was pivotal for me as a math major. He just he inspired me. Um, as a teacher, he was one of the greatest teachers I ever had. Um, Alexandria Newman was another college professor that I had that was amazing. And then in terms of trio, other folks that I've, that I've just really grown close to and appreciate everything that they do, uh, would be, there's a lot of former trio in this now too, but, uh, like my Eli chapter from Swasap, um, all of those folks, Therese Collins um, and Nancy Zamora, Corey Godbolt. There's just a tons of colleagues that um, that have really helped helped me persevere through all this. Oh, and I we would be remiss if I didn't say Dave Ferguson from Sonoma State, formerly from Sonoma State uh, Trio Training Program. He showed me that I could apply for more grants than I already had, and that was wow. when I started grant writing because he he helped me and guided me through my first year as an upper bound math and science director. So, um, and there's numerous others the, the in fact, the CSU trio training folks, um, Lourdes is fantastic. So there's just, there's so many to, that I probably could, I could just keep going. <laughs> the trio family is full of incredible, incredible people that I'm so grateful to be part of the same family with. Wonderful. 
What is something you would like to share with trio professionals? So if you had the ear of every trio professional from coast to coast listening to you right now, what would you say to them? I love you all and you're doing incredible work and um, you are so valued and and so um, so important to those that we serve and um, and I wish all of you the best. I mean, I just think that you all deserve the best. Awesome. What advice do you have for trio students at the pre-college or college level? Sure. So uh, a lot of advice, I'm sure. I get any conversation, I could give a lot of different advice. But in this, this one may be a little bit cliche, but maybe it covers everything. And I'll give a little bit of a story behind it. And that is, um, I was working on tiling my new house like mm-hmm. my wife said, we're ripping up the carpet in here and we're putting tile down mm-hmm. and um I was just like oh my gosh I'm so out of my comfort zone right now um, <laughs> I've never done this I might be messing this up terribly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like and there were some things that I felt like I could have like cut some corners on and I sure. could have winged it instead of asking questions or doing it right And at some point I had a choice uh, to do something and sort of go halfway or go all in. And, uh, and I was like, no, like in a couple of years, I'm going to be here and I want to do something for my future self that my future self will thank me for. And so for the trio students out there in pre-college or college, like do something that your future self will thank you for. Like when you have decisions to make, um, think about think about that and and don't cut corners. Be dedicated, be dedicated to things and ask questions, be curious, but also don't be afraid of making mistakes either. Um, that's how we learn is making mistakes and um, and rely on your support systems. that's that's what we're here for. Absolutely. What is one word you would use to describe yourself? Caring. Caring. So we're going to use that as the title of your podcast episode. Oh, I love that. And love what is, it. yeah, yeah. What is something you are currently watching, reading, or listening to, whether it's a podcast, a book, um, a TV show, movie? Yeah. What, what, what is your current? This is, this is what I'm into right now. Sure. So I am an avid follower of the news, <laughs> perhaps <laughs> too much so. Uh, but I am constantly checking and seeing what's going on, whether it's uh, across the ocean, somewhere else, or or locally. Uh, I really like to be in the know, both politically, economically, socially, all of those things. And I'm particularly obsessed right now with the economy mm, and real yeah. estate. Real estate, because it took me forever to buy a house and it was so <laughs> challenging because there's no market right now. Anyone who's looking right now, I'm I, I'm I'm a testament to that, Curtis. I'm looking I, and I'm I'm feeling discouraged, but I'm I'm trying to be optimistic. I wait a couple years. <laughs> Just wait a couple <laughs> years. You got a couple years. I think it'll go down. From all that I hear and all that I see, I think it's going to take, it's a lagging effect here, but I think okay. it's going to happen in a couple, it'll get better in a couple of years. But right now it is terrible. It is. Oh my gosh, yes. Expensive mortgage rates are high and there's no inventory. So like, yeah, I feel you. I, we've been looking since last September and we finally 
got a place. So, well, congratulations again. Yeah, totally well deserved. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, and so I watch a YouTube channel called Wealthy On is one. It's got a lot of economic information if you're like an economic kind of geek and you want to hear about macroeconomy and stuff like that. And then the other one for real estate is Reventure Consulting. And so you Ooh. might you might watch Reventure Consulting and it might give you some hope because he's always talking okay. about okay. the market will go back down. It's just a it's just a matter of time. Gotcha. <laughs> I'll definitely keep the optimistic light on there. Thank you, Curtis. I needed that. Um, so Curtis, it has been a, a true pleasure to speak with you today, uh, this evening about your, your trio journey uh, and everything that you've gone through. Uh, you are an amazing trio professional. Thank you so much for your time. And we should have you on again. I would be honored. So Curtis, we have a tradition on the Let's Talk Trio podcast where we have the guests sign off. Uh, do you care to do the honors? Absolutely. Hi, this is Curtis Grease, and I'm the director of the TRIO Student Support Services Program at State Fair Community College. I graduated from the Colorado School of Mines. TRIO works. Are you a participant, alum, or staff of a TRIO program? Do you want your program highlighted? You or your program could be featured in an upcoming episode of Let's Talk TRIO. Get a hold of us by going to our Facebook page or Instagram and send us a direct message. Search for Let's Talk Trio. We want to get your story to the public. That was our guest, Curtis Grease, who is the founder of TrioJobList.com, and he's currently the director for Trio Student Support Services Program at State Fair Community College. Curtis, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for sharing your TRIO journey. Remember, if you would like to be on the Let's Talk TRIO podcast or know a staff, advocate, participant, or alumni, send us an email at letstalktrio at gmail.com. That email again is L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O at gmail.com. A huge thanks to our sponsors, Angelica Villalpando, Dr. Jamie Motley, Dr. Ryan Barone, Angelica Valdez, Felicia Rivera, Rosario Riley, and TrioJobList.com, Nosotros Education Center, Jaded Electronics, and Student Access. Thank you all so much for your continued support of this podcast. You too can sponsor the Let's Talk Trio podcast in one of three ways. Become a monthly patron on Patreon. Our base patron level starts at a dollar a month. If you own a business and would like to place an ad on our podcast, email us for sponsorship packages. Become a supporter with a one-time donation to the podcast PayPal account. Our PayPal account is at Let's Talk Trio. Again, that handle is at Let's Talk Trio. I'd like to take a moment to thank our honorary members of the Let's Talk Trio podcast, Roderick Chambers, Tony Ho, Scott Kendall, and Susan Cramp. The Let's Talk Trio podcast team is John Russell, audio engineer, music producer and composer, and post-production editor. Amelia Castañeda, script supervisor, marketing manager, social media manager, and producer. Juan Rivas, executive producer and host. This episode was recorded Monday, July 17th, 2023. Remember to always exercise your most crucial right to vote. Thank you all so much for listening, and we will catch you on the next episode.